1: Welcome back to, hey, great shot. You're listening to part two of our Best of the Decade series episode, looking at the ATP Lost Generation. Of course, that means Generation Grigor Dimitrov, K. Nishikori, Milos Raonic, David Goffin, Dominic Team, and The Works. This is part two of my conversation with tennis with an accent, Changeover Tennis, formerly Peter Boto's Tennis World blogger, Andrew Burton, talking about that Generation Grigor. In part one, we talked about what their problem is, where they, you know, the many different tournaments where Generation Grigor came up short. We compared them to their peers, talked about the criteria we use when assessing this generation as a cohort, what metrics you can use to tell where they succeeded, where they failed compared to previous and future generations. And we hope you enjoyed part one. In part two, we're going to be talking about the why. Why was a Grigor? Why was a Kineshi Kori? Why were all of these guys unable to overcome the hump? How is the, How can we learn from their struggles as we look at this next generation of players? which he calls Generation Kyrgios uh, of course that's the next gen guys the Zverevs, the Tsitsipas the uh, Borna Chorj Karen Hachanovs of the Neil Medvedevs of the world so another hour for you listeners as we mentioned these two parts together a full two hours so hopefully you listened to part one by now and now you are listening to part two we have our next episode in the series coming up this Sunday night maybe Monday night we haven't decided yet with the one and only Jamie McDonald can to keep that topic a surprise for now but I promise listeners you are going to enjoy that one and of course there's still a bunch of other tennis going on right now in terms of ATP events the next gen finals ongoing in Milan and of course we've got a challenger in Knoxville with USTA Australian Open 2020 wild card implications as well so for updates on those things go check out the mini break I record these past two days with uh, Jamie McDonald talking about those events but then two nights ago Matt Stokowiak, Chris Hallioris and I continuing his college contender series looking at the best college teams heading into the 2020 season this week. We looked at number nine from last year's year-end rankings, Mississippi State. On the cracked interviews front, we also had the fortunate privilege of speaking with their coaches, Coach Matt Roberts, Assistant Coach uh, Jake Jacoby as well. So really fun there to learn on that team. A young team, they lost their maybe the four best players in their program's history. And so when you lose a class like that, uh, how do you rebound? What do you look at with with this young group? How do you build on that previous success even when all of the names are gone? Maintain the culture. All the things that keep a college tennis program successful. So, if you're a Mississippi State fan or you want to know how the 2020 college season is going to shake out, go give those podcasts a listen. Of course, player-wise, Paul Job, Estela Perez So Moriba, Keegan Smith, the Yale doubles team of Jesse Gong and Sam Martinelli, Ashley Leahy, Pepperdine ITA All-American singles champion. We've had them all on, and so we're ready for the college season. Hopefully, you listeners are starting to get ready as well. But go give those a listen. Check out the website CrackRackets.com on Twitter, Facebook instagram youtube uh social uh, social media wise for those more immediate updates like rate subscribe review all of those podcasts but with that in mind enjoy part two of my gsp best of the decade conversation with andrew burton So last question, or last thing on the what, and then I do want to get into the why, because of course, somehow we're near the hour mark, and that's what happens when we geek out here at the Great Shot Podcast, but so slight update from your changeovertennis.com article, ATP Dark Age still coming. Since 2000, the new players who have contended in more than one slam final have been, and I'm updating on the fly, so help me if I've missed anyone, Saffin, yes. Hewitt. Ferrero, Federer, Roddick. Those five guys, all generation Fed. You talk about the next generation. Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, Soderling, Wawrinka, Chilich. I believe that's six guys, right? And I don't think I missed anyone. Right. Wawrinka, Chilich, because Nishikori Rayonich only been in one grand slam final. So those six guys. Now you look at Generation Grigor. You know, how many have contended in more than one slam final? The answer. Zero, right? And that means something. That's, or I well, should say one, Dominic Thiem, Team, excuse me. Team, two French uh, Open finals. Roland
2: Garros 2018 and 2019. Team is the only player from Generation Grigor to win a set in a Grand Slam final. He took I a mean, set off Nadal this year.
1: That's incredible. And then uh, the other stat I want to point to, 23 players made their breakthrough after the age of 21, and, and now there may be a couple more on this list, but of them, only two, Ferrero, Söderling, now Alvrinka, so I suppose three, um, and maybe Chilich so four, uh, have played in more than one slam final, uh, but 10 have played, uh, this is of the earlier generations, in, uh, in a slam final. You look at Generation Grigor, again, it's Raonic, it's Nishikori, it's team. Those are the only guys who have even made a slam final. Let's get yes. to the why. Why do you think this is the case, Andrew?
2: So the, there's basically, I think, four explanations. And you can... Um, the the way that, that I would go about this is not to say that any one explanation is the explanation. But it's some mix of... of uh four factors. So factor number one, which I actually tend to put the most weight on, but factor number one is they're not very good. Mm. It's as simple as that, that, that through randomness, you had a group of guys who just weren't that good.
1: Can I give so a, a slight variation? It's not that they're not very good. They're not great. You need to be great to win a Grand Slam is where I argue. Because when you make multiple Masters finals, when you make a slam final, you're you know, you're ATP. You're obviously very good. That's the only distinction I would make there. Fair?
2: Uh yeah, so you know, you, you
1: go down It's a nomenclature um, thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, so players who have a single ATP, uh, uh, you know, I played uh, when I was in Canada, I, 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 I got lessons from a guy who who could completely hit me off the court, who could make me look totally silly, and he didn't have a single ATP ranking point. You know, so you go back to McPhee and levels of the game, you know, the you know, players who are in the top 100 in the ATP or the WTA are astonishingly good tennis players. So, <laughs> but you know, in, in relative terms,
1: sure,
2: you know, relative to the the groups of players who came before, they're not that good. So that's one explanation. Okay. Explanation number two, which I think a lot of people um, believe is 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 the better explanation is what I call the big three or the big four bash theory. Wait,
1: so, so hold on real quick, because I want to get into that too. But in terms of exclamation, uh, explanation, 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 explanation one, because I'm going to try and divide this generation by each explanation. I would say in terms of generation one, Bernard Tomich, who was the earliest to break through in the top 50. After a while, yeah. off-court things. But I think we can agree, just not that good, right? Nope. Ryan Harrison, yeah. same thing. Early breakthrough, yep. really just not that good. Donald Young. One of the best junior talents of all time just was not big enough to get it done on the professional tour, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with guys Jersey Janowitz, one hit wonder. Um, uh, Dusan Lajovic. okay, like sweet. Dan Evans, okay, maybe if he did a little less blow, like maybe, but still, <laughs> probably not. Um, but then, like, so I would say that category of this generation because guys like Jack Sock, Gofan, Dimitrov, Team Rayonic, Nishikori. I'm not willing to say they're not good, but but I would say a lot of that generation does fall into the not good category. Sorry to keep finding you on this, but do you think that's fair? That's the subgenre of this generation where you would say just the depth wasn't there.
2: Yeah, the the um, you know, to me that I, you may be from Belgium, you may really like the way that he times the ball. But I don't think that you will end your tennis-watching career saying, I saw David Goffin play. (laughs) Can I just say,
1: as a follow-up, I had this conversation with my usual co-host, Max Rothman. If there was any guy who I could just get a couple of drinks in and just sit there honestly with him, it would be David Goffin. I'd be like, be honest, David. How good do you think you are? Like, tell me, what do you think your spot is in the perennial power rankings? Do you think you've got Grand Slam talent in you? Because, yes, I might be from Belgium. I just—he's so solid. He just does so many things well. Like, as, as, a, as a floor. And, I mean, watching Federer annihilate him at the U.S. Open after he made that Cincy final, it broke my heart. Because you're like, okay, if it's ever going to happen— it's going to happen now for David. And, you know, the eye injury he took last year clearly threw him off for an extended period of time. But he's not a Hall of Famer by any standard. But he is a very good tennis player. This generation's Gilles Simon.
2: Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's fair. Except that, you know, if, if, if we're getting into individuals, I always thought Gilles Simon was the man they couldn't hang. The, you know, the that the Simon would be, you know, I, I lost count of the number of times that, that Gilles Simon would be down a break in the final set. And you'd look at him and Simon would have this look in his eyes saying, I've got you where I want you. Yeah. The, the, he was a player who more than anyone maximized his mental strength. And you know people talked about Nadal's intensity and his mental strength and they talked about Djokovic but you know they were clearly physically more talented and stronger than Simon. but what Simon had was this amazing mental strength you know Goffin is 400 times the tennis player the that, that, that I ever was so you know it's not as if you know I'm this you know hacker you know, watching from his couch in <laughs> Houston and saying, David Goffin, who's he? But, it, you know, it's it still, yeah, you compare uh, Goffin to, um, you know, maybe Gilles Simon, uh, who made two Masters 1000s finals where Goffin has made one. OK, so, you know, that's, that's roughly comparable, but you don't compare him to a songer or a birdie. Uh, You don't compare him to, um, you know, a David Ferrer or a Davidenko. You know, Ferrer, fantastic uh, battler, uh, made the most of what he had. But if I had to to look at Ferrer versus Simon versus Goffin, that's the running order that I would have them.
1: And I think that's fair. I, I agree with that. The, the, what speaks to this generation is that GoFan is a top-five player of it, and that speaks to the fact that the top just doesn't hold much weight. But yeah, only three slam quarterfinals to his name. I mean, three straight fourth rounds at the U.S. Open is good, but it's not great. Two year-end championship appearances. He's ended the year in the top ten twice or, or once, excuse me, three, uh, four master semifinals, one final to his name. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And Okay, I, I guess that's enough on point number one. Point number two.
2: So point number two is, let's call it the big three or the big four bash. The idea Can we call it the big
1: four? With your accent, you have to be with me that it's a big four.
2: I believe <laughs> it's a big kidding. four because um, you, you you look at semi-finals. So I, I did a, a, a piece for uh, the changeover, I think, Um that relate back to something I'd written for tennis.com a few years earlier on depth versus stability. And people talk a lot about uh, depth, but one of the more interesting things for me is stability. So I take a look at how many players make it to the semi final stage of Grand Slams. So maximum stability is four. You have the same four players make the semi finals of all four tournaments. Minimum stability is sixteen. You know, it's just basically you have no player makes it to more than um, one semi-final a year, and and for years, Murray was a two to three semi-finalist a year player. I mean, he um, has won uh, how many? He's won fourteen. Masters thousands, you know that's not far behind Agassi and Sampras. Uh, he he's reached the semi final of a Grand Slam ten times. He's reached the the final eight times and he's won three. A uh, Murray two time Olympic champion. Gotta, throw it, Gotta throw it in. Gotta throw it
1: in. Two time Olympic champion as well.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 basically, uh, Federer who had stuffed him at uh, Wimbledon three weeks before,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, came back onto the same grass courts and, and left with his tail between his legs in 2012. So, yeah, you know, I I, I would say big four. And, and so then you say, okay, all right, you are a young aspiring player. You make it to the quarterfinals of a big tournament and then you run up against a nadal a Djokovic, a federer or a murray good night nurse <laughs> so there's this there's this argument that the reason that generation Grigor and generation nick haven't amounted to much is they banged against the big four so that's an argument
1: so, just to that point, let's look real quick at some of the guys. We mentioned Nishi earlier. I mean, David Goffin, it's a similar boat. He's not a winning record against those guys. You look at a guy like mm-hmm. Dimitrov, one in nine against Djokovic, one in 10 against Nadal, one in seven against Federer, three in eight against Murray. You look at a guy like Milos Rayonich, you know, it's similar. One in 12 against Murray, one in nine against Nadal, one in 14 against Federer, one in nine against Djokovic. I mean, I, I I guess, how do you not put weight behind that? It, it, maybe it is a testament to they just never reached that level you have to reach to be one of the greats. Or maybe it's these other three, four guys had just reached a level that the game has never seen. And to ask anyone to meet that expectation, plus, given the fact that, you know, physicality in the game has increased. So these guys were 23, 24, taking their hardest lumps against In Shape in their prime uh Four best players in tennis history, and that's you know a tough ask for any 23 24 year old to lose that many times that early in their career, and it just kind of creates this sort of uh blockade a block in your mind, just this mental hurdle you can never overcome. But how much validity do you put in that point? Because tennis is an individual sport, right? You're gonna have to beat the guy lined up against you eventually if you want to win, so that they couldn't beat these guys is just it's a failure, right? It's the job of every generation to beat the one that comes before it if you want to succeed it in terms of success on the tour, but these guys were also just really, really good.
2: They were good. Yeah, and and they still are good. You know, last three years. They they've shared the, the majors among them. Um but you know, Stan Vavrinka has won a few big matches against them. So has Juan Martín Del Potro. Uh, so did uh, so is Kurylo and and Sverev yeah. have won
1: matches against them.
2: Yeah, but uh, if you if if you look at the head to head records of the the next tier in Generation Rafa and Generation Fed, they are much better than Generation Gregors, and it's also the case that um, the you know, you, you very rarely had. I think there was one year when something like fourteen out of the sixteen semi-final places were held by the Big Four, but a lot of the times you had gaps, and basically that the the the, the Big Three or Big Four they weren't a solid. Um, Moat and castle walls around the final stages. So, Kevin Anderson, I think, is really interesting. I mean, a, 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 a player who uh, has competed and made the most of his talent, but has made it to two Grand Slam semi finals above the age of 30. Fabio Fognini won a Masters this year um, above the age of 30. John Isner. You, you, you see these third-tier generation Rafa players having career success above the age of 30 rather than the the Gregor generation. So the— But the, the, what I would say
1: to that real quick is, and just to add to that point, is it speaks— to point point one as well is that again it's not only have those back half players but you also have the younger cohort of the Zverev the Medvedevs the churches hatchanov's uh Tsitsipas's of the world on this tr- generation Grigor heels and it looks like they're about to overtake them as well so they're right. getting it from both sides
2: right and and you, you, you basically the the so I've, I've given you two arguments that relatively speaking generation Grigor weren't that good you've got the big three blockade then you could argue that, that well maybe the two generations before them generation fed and particularly generation Rafa maybe that was a special generation maybe basically the tennis gods sprinkled so much tennis fairy dust onto Generation Rafa, they had hardly any left over for Generation Gregor. And that's possible, except when you look at Generation Rafa from age 20 through 25 or 26, they look very similar to Generation Fed and Generation Guga and Generation Pete. The thing that stands out is generation Rafa looks a whole lot better from about age 27 through 33 why is that well because they were kind of playing into a vacuum so then you have answer number four and this is the one that i think is the most interesting one of all
1: so which what is, is that thought just to round out because i like to push you on all of these points okay three to the vacuum that you speak to um uh, again you look at the guys plus or minus five years and just what they've done it speaks to again you look at the cohorts so in that vacuum who would rise as the back half of this generation who would be the guys who once they hit 26 27 or maybe they broke into the 50 uh top 50 at like the 23 range uh who would have maybe had a later jump well in this generation you know the selection of names isn't great you have guys like paulo corinabusta who you brought up earlier who like yeah he's made a nice career as you've mentioned there's Certainly, hey, he's not going to have to worry about money issues probably for a nice 10 to 15 to maybe even 20 years after his pro career because he's done that well. Um, but guys like him, Diego Schwartzman's, the right. Vilis, the Dusan Lajovic's, the Radu Elbots of the world where you're just like, yeah, you made the top 50. You made the top 25 this season because the rest of your co- cohort is just not very good.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you, you've got... You know, if, if if you run down the 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 list of of players, you have the top six of Generation or Anishikori, Team Raonic, Dimitrov, Goffin, and then Jack Sock and Sock. You know, because of that amazing run to the Paris final, where he played Filip Krajinovic. Um, you know, who, and you know that that that's one for the the pursuit. But then you get to the next round of players, it's Karenia Booster, Schwartzmann, Janovitz, Kechinato, Basil Ashvili, and Tomic. Um then you're down into Benoit Paire, Steve Johnson, Damir Jumur, Philip Krajinovic, Dusan Lojevic, and Guido Peyer. I mean if, if if you God love him, the guy has speed and he and, and he, you know, he works hard. He's, he's a genuine professional. But again, you know, if, if, if you're saying, you know, one of, one of the standouts of his generation is Damir Jumhur, then, you know, and, and, and you're looking back to an equivalent player uh, for Generation Rafa, the equivalent to Damir Jumhur in Generation Rafa is Gael Monfils. Uh, uh, the, the player below him is Isner. The player below him is Tepsarevich. The player below below him is Almagro. Then we get to Fonini. Two below that is Roberto Bautista Agu. So Bautista made it to London this year. If Bautista Agu goes deeper in Paris... He's on that Eurostar train. You know, he's taking the kind of photo that, that Stan Wawrinka was. And, you know, up until now, he hasn't made it into the top 20 in Generation Rafa. And then you go to uh, the, the Federer Generation equivalent. Now, here's a name that you probably haven't heard in a while. Um, you know, at 17, you've got, uh, sorry, at 16, you've got Paradorn Shrichifan. <laughs> uh, amazing player, uh, played one of the best semi-finals against Federer and Basel I've ever seen and probably got hooked on a line call at 5-all in the, the final set tie-break. But then you've got above him Fernando Verdasco, uh, Joachim Johansson, then James Blake, Tommy Robredo, Fernando Gonzalez, Ivan Ljubicic, David Nalbandian, I mean, you're getting into some some really, really solid players there. So you could argue that the, the Generation Fed and the Generation Rafa, uh, I mean, so th- this is kind of like what you could think of as the squeeze argument. that Generation Grigor got squeezed between two good generations before them and Generation Nick coming up behind them. Now, the argument about that is Generation Nick is not that precocious. They haven't had any Grand Slam semi, no, uh, I beg his pardon, Daniel Medvedev was the first uh, player to make a final from uh, Generation Nick. They'd had semi-finalists beforehand, but he was the first one to, uh, to make a final of a Grand Slam. Um, and, you know, as I, as I talked about earlier and as you'd mentioned earlier, you typically had players breaking through in their late teens, early twenties. Medvedev is 23 now, so Generation Nick is not that precocious. Now Generation Felix, which is the 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 newest generation, I've got I've got hopes for them.
1: So, just for perspective, Generation Felix, the Felix, the Shapovalovs, the sinners of the world, the Ketsmanoviches—that right, group, Diminov, sure. Um you know
2: that I've got, I've got, I've got hopes for those guys, particularly Felix. I think if Felix gets his serve together, then um, you know he's he's going to be quite something.
1: That's interesting. So, and and uh, just to be clear, so for point four, just for our listeners, we say that one more time.
2: Point four is that something structural happened in tennis you know, in the early 2010s that advantaged players in their late 20s and early 30s and disadvantaged players in their um, late teens and early to mid-20s. So something changed in the game. And it's interesting that that you see something like this in the WTA as well. You see a shift in the average age of players winning big tournaments and 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 making the finals. And this is something that you can see if you go on Tennis Abstract. And and I, you know, if you if you get a chance to talk to Jeff Sackman, or we can give a, a shout out to Jeff Sackman, Tennis Abstract mm-hmm. is one of the best single-person resources that's been created for Stats Geeks in the last few years. So huge shout-out to Jeff Sackman. But if you look at the the, the annual um, stats that he has on players under 23 or under 22 or 21 and players over 31, 32, 33, it used to be the case that the, the top, 10, the top 50 was dominated by players in their early 20s. And there were very, very few players who were in the top 50, let alone the the top 10 or so, who were in their early 30s, let alone their late 30s. And so you can make an argument that something changed. Was it court speed? Was it sports science? Was it recovery? Was it better nutrition? That basically shifted the the balance of power, and 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 moved the 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 average period when players were at their peak from age twenty three to twenty eight to let's say age twenty six to thirty one. So if that happened, if there was a one time structural shift in tennis that happened um, in the early to mid 2010s, then what you might have, uh, and I'm putting the you know heavy emphasis on the might, is that Generation Grigor is now average age 28. Well, maybe the rest of their prime is still to come if you've shifted the average age when a player peaks back by three to four years
1: so that point really fascinates me The because it was a combination of all of those factors, right? And you pointed to yes. many of them, but it's courts slowing down. It's support science getting better. You know, Djokovic gave up gluten and that was a big story this decade, but that's not mm-hmm. what it was. It was a combination of different things that allowed these athletes. Andy Murray has a new hip and he just won an ATP 250. You could not have done that in the 2000s. So you're right. It is a combination of all of these factors. And that's why it's so interesting when you talk about this cohort, because- Let's look at those top six names and where they stand right now, and you talk about those structural shifts in the game. Um, well, Kane Shikori, how did he end this season injured? Milos Raonic, how did, what did he deal with all season injuries? Um... Jack Sock, he's out of the ATP rankings because he's been dealing with injuries for so long. Guys like Tomich, Janowitz, Ryan Harrison, we're not going to hear from them, it feels like. And then you look at, so like a Goffin, a Kareno Busta, a Schwartzman, you know, Dimitrov and team, uh, they they ended the year well. Those are guys who are playing their best tennis. But it's a split bag, right? So in terms of that structural thing— uh, that is going to be something interesting Is do these guys have a second act For Roger Federer, he had a second act And then he had a third act, it was a Shakespeare There's four, five, six, seven yes. acts maybe To this play, for Rafa Nadal Between the knee injuries, between The balding, between the switch from Caprice We've seen a lot of different versions of him As well, and still, he continues To thrive, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray Same thing, They oh and that, maybe not Andy Murray Yet, but Djokovic, he certainly caught A second wind of dominance, he goes from 2011 to then that 20 Fit, you're like, it's never going to get better than starting the season 43-0. and Well, no, in 2015, he's going to go 82-6. and So, like, his best tennis. And that was at a younger age. But what I'm trying to say is, do these guys have another jump in them that Roger and Rafa were able to both win two slams in 2017 over the age of 30. You know, when Grigor's over the age of 30, you have to imagine a lot of those older guys will be retired. Someone's got to win, as you mentioned. So do you think these guys have a second act in them? It sort of gets back to the Nishi Nishikori question I asked is, is the window still open for Generation Grigor, or would you say closer to closed?
2: So, you know, you look at the, the players that that they have, um, I should say.
1: By the way, open to win slams, which I know you got. But just for our listeners,
2: yes. Um, how far are we away from random dude winning slams? And who is random dude? Is uh, so? I would say Dominic Team uh, competing again in the World Tour Finals. Um. Four years in succession, a Roland Garros semi finalist, Indian couple Wellesman of this Masters year. titles. Yeah. yeah, he's he, you know, he's not random dude. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, from from the generation Grigor, uh, group Nishikori, Raonic, Dimitrov, Goffin. I would not call those guys random dude. Uh, Diego Schwartzman who is eighth in the, the list of, you know, highest-ranking players, to me is interesting because, you know, you could think of him as a slightly underpowered Nishikori, but a fantastic returner, and, and that guy competes like anyone. So could Schwartzman one day find himself coming, you know, coming through a good draw maybe knock off a top name, you know, maybe have a Chilich like year. It's possible. Um as you as you go farther down the list, um, you know, I'm 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 honestly not seeing it for Benoit. Per. I'm honestly not seeing it for Yuri uh, vesely
1: Love the big lefty, but sorry.
2: Yeah, you know, love to watch Jan Leonard Struff hit the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh if he wins a major, then good luck to him, and I hope you have me back on the podcast to <laughs> to say each your words. Um, the, I mean, the thing was back in um, 2014 when I was looking at, uh, you know this this emerging theme. One of the things I said was, you know, Vavrinka had won the 2014 Australian Open. But I said the chance that, you know, I didn't think either Vavrinka or Chilich would go on to be multi slam winners. Well, I was wrong. You know, Vavrinka uh, won three slams and was a finalist in the fourth. Chilich didn't win another slam, but, you know, played Federer injured at Wimbledon. No asterisks, but, you know, he was carrying an injury. And you then he, of course. And then he took. Um, Federer to five sets in the Australian Open final, and if he breaks Federer in the first game, who knows what happens in the fifth set? So you know, you never say never. Now with Vavrinka, I think the Stan, uh, sorry, the uh, the Magnus Norman factor is huge. Mm-hmm. Magnus Norman took Sodling to a couple of Roland Garros finals, and I've always felt very sad that that Sodling's career was was cut short. By mononucleosis, because he could have been um, a, a winner in the 2011 through 2016-17 period. Um, so you don't know. I mean, Dimitrov um, is working with Agassi now. Is that right? Uh,
1: him, Stepanik. It's a rotating. Danny Valverde. It's a rotating cast.
2: Okay, and and you know, Dimitrov possibly, you know, could have a late surge the way that, that, that Stan Vavrinka did. Semi-finals
1: um, U.S. Open, semi-finals Paris. That's what you want going into 2020.
2: Yeah, and, uh, you know, the Australian Open 2017 where he had a couple of break points against Nadal in the semi-final there. You you, you know, I, I have never quite forgiven Dimitrov for... Um, failing to take Djokovic to a fifth set in Wimbledon in 2014. But, uh, you know, that's that's another story. So you, so you, 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 you don't know. I mean, the thing the thing that I look for and, and, you know, I want I want to get this across is that tennis to me is a a really enjoyable sport when you have a mix of people that that. You think are really strong players for the game, making the later stages, and then you have another couple of interesting stories: young players on the way up, older players who are are having having a moment, and, and rivalries make tennis interesting. Uh, so the um, you know the the rivalries among the big four. You had the Federer Roddick. Rivalry, slightly one-sided, but it was a rivalry. Um, when you when you when you get into the 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 generation Grigor, you just don't have rivalries. So I'm 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 really looking for that. I'm looking for that in the WTA side as well. You know, the thought of Osaka and Barty and uh, Andrescu over the next decade playing multiple major finals against each other that is mouthwatering to me so the, the 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 thing that i don't want that the atp dark age that i foresaw about six years ago was that within three or four years time you would have um essentially random guys winning the the, the big finals and that period would last for a while as it's happened, you've had the big three guys still dominating the majors, and then you've had some new blood coming in, like Zverev, like um, oh Medvedev, in the and team you could say at the at the Masters level. So I'm I'm hoping that the 2020s, if a Nishikori, if a, if a Dimitrov or a Goffin makes their way through and, you know, does what uh, does one step beyond what Kevin Anderson could do and, you know, Mm -hmm. wins two or three grand slams, you know, above the age of 28, 29 or so, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, my theory of the universe is is blown up completely, but I kind of think that generation Nick and generation Felix are potentially going to squeeze them out. Uh particularly the two years from now, if you if you don't have uh some of the 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 top generation Felix guys uh beginning to compete for the big titles, I'll be pretty surprised.
1: And of course it's not just those younger guys. You still have a Djokovic and a doll, a Federer, um you know those guys still around and well and then you know, of course, the Anderson, Isner, Bautista, Agut uh, core, uh, grouping as well, still fighting uh, to, you know, win Masters, make that final stages of the slam. So yeah, it will be tough. All right, two more questions for you, I swear, and then we'll let you go. Um, question number one, sticking with Generation Gregor, and this will be our final question about them. Uh, you look at this group, and the Hall of Fame of tennis is such an arbitrary thing. It's very hard to define the standard criteria as of how someone gets in, who gets in, who doesn't, but you look at this generation of players, given what they've done in the 2010s, even, you know, the projections you have for them in the 2020s, do you see a single Hall of Famer in this cohort?
2: Possibly team.
1: But outside of him, no? No. Because team, team, we could have had a whole separate discussion of team of where he sticks in because Dominic team right now Age 26, so no, he's not young. He's been around the block, but two slam finals for him. He continues to get better on the hard courts, winning his first Masters on a hard court this year, winning another title uh, on a hard court at the end of the year. Obviously, ending strong as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's just tough, right? Because Raonic one master fi- or one major final, Nishikori one major final, and given all the injuries, I mean, Nishikori has been very consistent at slams, but. He just hasn't won the big thing for you. Is it a, a slam? You need a slam to get in, or is there because I guess because the Nishikori? How would you compare like the Nishikoris to the Ferrers Songas of the world? Would you say that cut of crop of the Rafa generation was better even than this? Um, or not the Ferrers? I, excuse I, me, I, the Gasquet so, so, Monfils group.
2: Yeah, so I would put Nishikori in the. You know, the so Nishikori has one Grand Slam final, so do Songa and Burdick. They have roughly the same numbers of semis, or probably will have by the time that, that Nishikori retires. Uh both Songer and Burdick have one Masters final. Songa has two of them. So you're talking roughly that level. I don't think Ferrer is a Hall of Famer. I don't think Wow. Joe Wilfried or Thomas Berdica Hall of Famers. I think Andy Roddick uh, felt that he was fortunate to get in the the Hall of Fame. And, he, you know, he's one Grand Slam winner, uh, four Grand Slam finals, uh, five semifinals, you know, dashed his head against the rock that was, was Federer multiple times. Uh, Vavrinka is a likely hall of famer he's got three grand slam uh titles but only one masters final he deprived federer of uh, a monte carlo uh final back in the day so you know the the the, the hall of fame you know possibly uh dominic teen you know you know the 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 time nadal finally Hangs up his, uh, you know, clay-covered Nikes. Uh, you know, team along, obviously with Djokovic, would be the 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 favorites if Nadal wasn't around. So, you know, three years from now, is is team winning multiple, um, you know, multiple Roland Garroses and possibly a U.S. Open. I can see that happening.
1: Yeah, I I think that's going to be the interesting thing. I know we will do a podcast later in the Best of the Decade series about Hall of Famers from the 2010s. I mean, if Ferrer's not going to get in, then Burdich isn't Sanga, isn't Monfils, isn't a lot of guys from this generation. Gasquet probably isn't Baghdad, is, you know, definitely isn't those guys. Um, it's all a test case. And if you let one in, how do you not let the others in? So I think that's fair. I would agree. I don't know if a single player from this generation, Grigor, outside of Dominic Team, who, again, the youngest of the bunch, uh, has even had a David Ferrer, has had a career as consistent as David Ferrer. Sure, when Grigor Dimitrov won the Year End Finals, uh, that was a huge moment. When Milos Ramic made that first Wimbledon final in 2016, it was like, oh, I could see this happening for you know five out of the next seven years. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, Nishikori on a hard court, you're like, oh, this guy's just so relentless. You could see the path forward, and it just. It never really did happen, and now, you know, one of the things we've talked about a lot through this conversation, how I want to end it, lingering above Greg or I guess below on G- Generation Grigor's he- heels, is Generation Nick, and again, using the same criteria, peak ATP ranking points versus age at entry to the top 50, would you say uh, that Generation Nick, so again, guys like Kyrgios, Zverev, uh, Medvedev, Hechanov, Chorich, uh, that group of players, is closer to Generation Federer. We're not going to say Generation Rafa because they got the pixie Dusk, right, as you mentioned. But would you say they are closer to Generation Federer as a cohort or Generation Grigor at this point of their career?
2: They're actually closer to Grigor. Really? Give me the case. Yeah. Well, so uh, Marat Safin uh, won a Grand Slam at uh, the age of twenty. Uh, Leighton Hewitt, um, I think, also won a Grand Slam at twenty, but he was certainly the youngest World Number One. Um, generation Fed had about let me let me just take a quick look. Uh, had thirteen players who were above the the four thousand ranking level um 10 players above the 6,000 ranking level um i can see you know maybe three or four um of the the nick players potentially getting up there but they're starting to be known quantities um you know, a guy like Luca Puy, for example, you know, he's he's the front end of generation born in in 1994. So he'll be 26 next year. And I remember seeing Pui play against Federer in Paris several years back and thought he looks like he's uh, he's got potential. Beat Nadal in, in, in a U.S. Open match but has never managed to to really push it through. Did make a, a Grand Slam semi, but just got absolutely stuffed in it. Uh, Borna Chorich, you know, looked like he got a lot of potential. Highest ranking he's gotten to is 26.95, which, you know, that's not, um, that's not that stellar. Kyle Edmund uh Australian open semi-finalist in 2018 really done next to nothing since then Chung's been injured so the, the generation Nick seems to be about a year ahead of generation Grigor in, in, in where they've gotten to Generation Felix it feels like they're about three years ahead in terms of their, Um, you know, where they are at at this age compared to their their two prior cohorts. Um, Generation Fed, I think, was distorted just because of how good Federa became in 2004. I don't think anyone saw that coming. And, you know, this is not the time to, um, you know, discuss the relative strengths of, uh, the big three slash big four players, but I think that a lot of the the players who came up with Federer get a bad rap because he he just went supernova in 2004. That you would have expected Roddick, um, Hewitt, Safin, Ferrero, possibly Coria, and maybe one or two others to have picked up majors if Federer had not had that astonishing period between 2004 and 2009 that he did. So comparing Generation Nick to uh, Generation Gregor or Generation Fed, they're a long way behind Generation Fed in in my view. So here's
1: going to be my slight counter to that. So yeah, you talk about guys like Safin, Hewitt, Erotic, Correa, obviously Federer the exception of the bunch, but... I really like the depth of this 25 and under cohort of this generation, Nick. I refer to them as the next gen, right? Because these are all the guys who are the first next gen cohort. And there are a bunch of them now working their way inside the top 75, inside the top 50, um, you know, the standouts of the group, Medvedev, Zverev, obviously, Hachinov did it early, Andre Rublev did it early, Borna Chorich did it early, Nick Kyrgios did it early, but it's the depth of this group. It's guys like Matteo Berrettini, Riley Opelka, Taylor Fritz, Hubie Herkatch, my guy, even a guy like Sasha Bublik, or a Cam Nori, a Lorenzo Sinego, a Kyle Edmund, or Hyun Chung, Yoshi Nishioka. I just think a uh, uh, Nicholas Jerry, who hasn't been consistent, but I just think that's a lot of good players. And I agree. The 98 through the, the FAA generation has some studs as well. Shapovalov, FAA, Dimenauer, uh Sinner, who's obviously looked great. There's a bunch of young guys. Uh, Davidovich Fokina, Jason Sung, the young junior, uh, has looked really good as well. But I just really like the depth. I think there's a group here. You know, I think a guy like Hubie Hercatch— there's no reason he can't be in the top 25 from ages 23 to age 33, right? Just physically, the tools he has—that's a top 25 player on paper. No, we haven't seen him do it yet, but given that this was the first generation who grew up with the you know slower courts but better training, um, you know more specialization, all of these different things, I think this generation is going to be good for a very long time. And I think there's just so many high-quality names that uh, this reminds me of like, again, a Simone, a Sanga, Gasquet, uh, I know those are all French players, but uh, the Burdiches of the world who just lingered in the top 15 for a really long time. I think there are a bunch of players in Generation Nick that'll be capable of doing that. Plus, they have the benefit of when Generation Rafa ages out, Generation Grigor's not that good, so there are going to be a lot of opportunities to win quickly, which we've talked about a bunch. So I just, I like the depth of generation nick and i know not a lot of them have had 4000 point seasons but a lot of them have slowly started working their way into that top 50 into that top 25 range and i thought this year in particular 2019 was a big step for generation nick's growth
2: yeah so 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 i'll counter that like by it. saying that you know, if you so, I, I think one of the things that that may have sparked some of this conversation was an observation around how many players there were in the top fifty. Uh, Kamachi so, Tandon.
1: So real quick, I saw that I believe it was Kamaka, uh, Kamashi
0: uh Kamachi Tandon. I yeah, yeah
1: Kamachi Tandon, who had the tweet, and I will say, you can ask Matt. Uh just you know I I have been on getting uh, your getting you on this podcast for quite a bit of time this is just when it worked out but I will admit that tweet perked my interest and yes that that was
2: absolutely sorry t- so go on So um you know I think unless you're you're something of an obsessive about tennis which possibly both of us qualified for you don't tend <laughs> you think an to hour spend 40 on- in. You, you don't tend to spend a lot of time worrying about the, you know, the players between 15 and 20 or so or, or the top 50. So I, 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 I just pinged you something over a Twitter DM, which it, 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 it's often very hard to see a Twitter DM in a podcast. So <laughs> the, 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 there is method to my madness. So there is something to watch out for. And it's something that I first spotted when I was writing for tennis.com and I called it the takeoff point. And what the takeoff point is, is you have a player who typically at a younger age is at the thousand, 2000, 2,500 ranking points level. And then suddenly they get it together. And, I actually saw it in real time. And by real time, I mean over a period of months. But I called Djokovic's rise in 2007 when he reached the final of Indian Wells and lost to Nadal. He won Miami, beating Kanyas in the final. He beat Federer in Montreal. And then he lost to Federer in... Uh, The U.S. Open final in 2007 uh, and then beat Federer and then beat Songer in the Australian Open in 2008. But by May 2007, I was calling Djokovic's rise because I saw what I call the takeoff point where you see basically a player's ATP points go vertical. And in your DMs, I don't know if you can get to it while you're on the podcast, but I've sent you a chart which shows Murray's... He
1: adjusted ranking points.
2: Yeah, it shows Murray's ranking, and you see basically Murray scuffling around until he gets to age 21, and then he goes vertical. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Medvedev and Medvedev, scuffles in the thousands and then he gets to the two thousands and then this year he went vertical and just as with bernie tomic tomic making his way into the top 50 in uh you know in his teens didn't guarantee he'd become a top five player except in his head at times but uh (laughs) The fact that Medvedev has had this takeoff point in uh, 2019 doesn't guarantee that he'll be an open-era elite player. But it puts him in the conversation. And we've waited so long to have players who've been part of the conversation. I think Zverev uh, is another player who potentially gets into the conversation and the last couple of years or so, I mean, I thought when he beat Federer in the uh, Montreal final in 2017, uh, when Federer was having a pretty good year and, and basically Zverev hit him off the court until Federer, you know, had a back twinge in his uh, in the second set, but, I don't think that changed the result. I think that, that Zverev was beating him. Um, Zverev was the other guy who had something that looked like a like a takeoff, um, and 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 you know he peaked in the the mid six thousands and and has ducked down since then. So so Medvedev, the fact that he's had a takeoff, it isn't guaranteed. But the thing that you want to look out for. So looking into the future in the next two or three years is when you see a player, you know, Berrettini could be the next guy. He's sort of scuffling around in, in the, the low to, to mid-2000s. He's somewhere between 16 and 9. And then all of a sudden he gets it together and it's final, final, win, win, final, semi-final, win, final. And all of a sudden you turn around and he's got 7,000, 8,000 ranking points and he's challenging for the big titles. That's what we're looking out for. We didn't see it in Generation Grigor. We've got hints of it in Generation Nick. Maybe some other Generation Nick players will have it. Or the next guy will be a, a Shapovalov, an Ogialisim, a Damien They'll put it together and they'll be the next big player to look out for.
1: What you have to love about, and the Medvedev file you found me, even though he goes straight up at age 23, and I would argue the things we talked about earlier, the combinations of factors that make it more difficult for players to succeed at an early age, particularly on the ATP, that's some of the reason why, you know, Murray's age curve starts in that 20 to 21 range, Medvedev starting at 22, 23, not as weird now, uh, at least in my opinion, but the fact that Medvedev, Zverev have won Masters events, in Zverev's case, multiple Masters events for Tsitsipas, that he's made a you know a final at a Masters event, that speaks to the quality of these individual players, and yeah. I agree. We would like to see all of them go on extended runs, but, you know, Medvedev's run post-Wimbledon, as you mentioned, finals in Montreal, wins Cincinnati, finals at the U.S. Open, finals of the City Open as well, uh, wins without dropping a set in Moscow, goes and wins in Beijing, um that's really freaking good. Like that's, that's an elite stretch of tennis. That's a Novak Djokovic-esque, I'm going to be the best player on a hard court over, you know, a four month period of time. That's what Daniil Medvedev just went and did. C- certainly yes. the best stretch of time we've seen from any of these Generation Nick players. And it speaks to the upside that many of them may still have that is untapped.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, the, the thing about, stats is that they can they can give you hints of things that you uh or they can round out something that you don't necessarily see from watching a match but i you know i wouldn't the the joy of watching tennis is watching great players play it's not saying oh, i can get some stats about it later but um, I think that I, I just sent you, by the way, the, the mm, Medvedev. I love this against... one.
1: The Zverev Medvedev
2: one. Exactly. So I'm showing see... it to
1: the microphone right now, podcast listeners. Can you hear it?
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you've got Zverev basically about three years before um, mm-hmm. Medvedev in, in age terms making what looked like a similar takeoff, but then peaking and and, and 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 falling back. And, you know, we know that Zverev has had managerial troubles and he's had an experiment of coaching with um, Lendl that really didn't quite work out. So, you know, Zverev, Zverev isn't entirely unlike Djokovic's curve um, in that you know Jokovic, um, you know, had his breakout in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, but then you know seemed to be a perennial number three behind um, Nadal and Federer until that astonishing early two thousand and eleven run uh, after Serbia won the Davis Cup that seemed to really just flip a switch for Djokovic. And, you know, he he basically put together one of the all-time great seasons in 2011, only to top it again in, in 2015. So, you know, anyone, you know, the, what's that line? The hardest thing to predict is the future. <laughs> so uh, Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, sooner or later, I hope, More than one of these guys, is it's going to click for them and then we'll have rivalries to look forward to for another five to ten years rather than sort of saying, well, Federer can't win um, grand slams into his 40s, can he? Uh, (laughs) Nadal can't win 20... Roland Garros is Kenny. Um, you know, are Nadal and Federer and Djokovic going to finish with 30 grand slams each? I mean, that, that would be kind of dull.
0: <laughs>
1: no, I agree. And again, the reason I like your curves, because you look at a big thing breaking into that top 50 before age 21 and like a guy like Andre Rublev, who broke into the top 50, made a major quarterfinal, was a world junior number one, Got injured, but now comes back so strong at the end of 2019. It speaks to, and we've seen from a bunch of players that there are the Chiliches, the Wawrinkas of the world who can make that sort of late career push. And there are a lot of talented guys in Generation Knicks. So I think that's why, uh, you know, there's so much hope on them because not only are they very talented, but to the whole theme of this uh, conversation, they have a generation that really messed up. They're not messed up, but really underperformed, that didn't do. Uh, uh, what we expected of them and so I guess with that in mind because you know I said oh I'll keep you for around an hour I promise not too much more <laughs> well this is an hour 52 and I would keep you for another hour but I, I I reserve the right instead to bring you back another time but any final thoughts on the lost gen any final thoughts in terms of their place in the 2010s narrative um
2: I called them the lost boys um they and I called them that in 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 2014, and I was I was surprised then about how much of a gap they had already left, and at the end of the decade, um, I guess I'm still not sure if I'm surprised that they they left that bigger gap. I thought. By you know, I, I thought in 2014, maybe by 2017, 2018 they'll have come through, and they didn't. So, um, it, 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 you know, who knows what the 2020s will bring? But I'm, I'm, honestly, I will take on all comers and say they won't belong to Generation Grigor.
1: <laughs> I think that's completely fair to say. I agree. I again one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on because that lost gen title. It speaks to this generation of players. The twenty tens could have been as great as Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Murray were. Part of the narrative is that for ten years, not an you know, Chilich had his moment, Wavrinka had some moments. But not a not a single other player broke through at a Grand Slam on the men's side, and that feels just so significant. That's what you're going to remember about the 2010s. Is that as you know, it was the Big Four two other guys, and no one else winning slams because so many so much of tennis is focused on those huge events. But, you know, as I mentioned, there is no person to help us break it down better from the nitty-gritty from these projections than you, Andrew. So I want to give you two minutes here. Where can our listeners find your stuff? What will you be up to uh, over these next couple of months as we head to the offseason?
2: So uh, long-form stuff, uh, at tennis with an accent, uh, short-form stuff, I'm Burton AD uh, on Twitter, and I very much enjoy conversations with people about tennis, stats, politics, and life. So, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> look,
1: I again, I tell this to Matt all the time. One of these days, we'll go an hour on politics, and unfortunately, I can't publish that one. But, I've got look. You're one of my favorite follows. I I have defined you true or false as a George H. W. Uh, Bush Republican. False. <laughs> yeah, based on uh, look, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of what's his name. Uh, I'm dropping out of it. Stuart Stevens tweets. There's a lot of uh, uh, who's the guy? Oh my god! Uh, I'm I'm blanking out. I. David. This my David
2: Frum or – A lot Dress. of David
1: <laughs> Frum. Yeah, exactly. I see a lot of those. Uh, a lot of those people pop up on that timeline. Not that I have anything wrong with it. I'm, just I'm, I'm
2: I I I have a very eclectic. I try, you know, I try to span the spectrum. But I, I'm I'm to the left of ninety percent of the the U.S. <laughs> voting uh, group.
1: Oh, so so well. uh, no,
2: I'm not. I'm 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 not a. I i am i am not aii was uh, I was a Bill Clinton Democrat. Uh, although I was living in the U.K. at the time. And uh, I uh, – you, you can potentially think of uh, George H.W. Bush as the last sane Republican president, if you like.
1: An, an institutionalist through and through, without a doubt. The right man – look, again, I, I have another, another hour in politics, but that's how I get in trouble. So we will save that for another time. Yeah, uh, that, that's, a funny, that's a funny description. You strike me as someone who would love the governor of Arkansas. You're just like that's, that's your guy.
2: So, uh, you know, Bill Clinton went to the same college that I did at Oxford. He, really? He, yeah, he played rugby for the second team. Apparently, he was uh, a second row forward. He was there uh, 10 years before I was. Mm. And uh, I, I played first team rugby, I'll have you know. Really?
1: But, yeah. Oh, give me your tennis comparison as a rugby player. Who? What tennis player were you?
2: Sorry, I'm uh, not sure what that means.
1: I mean, your style of rugby play, compare it to a tennis player.
2: Oh, gosh. Um, mm. It would be low generation Grigor, probably.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You are the Dusan Lajovic of rugby?
2: Something like that. No, I mean, (laughs) so I I played college rugby, uh, and at Oxford, college rugby means you play for one of the Oxford colleges as -hmm. opposed to playing for the university. So I wasn't good enough to play uh, for Oxford University. I, I played with players who did play for university, including international level players like Nick Mallet and um, a, a guy called Phil Crow who played for Australia. And and you know just you you, you knew how much better those guys were <laughs> than than you were. Um, So, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, being a, um, let's call it a challenger level player, you know, being around people who could compete at the late stages of uh, a Masters or or a Grand Slam that, um, you know, rugby was the sport that I enjoyed the most between the ages of 11 and 35 and tennis was something that I came to later um, But, you know, I like to say that uh, I missed the violence, but then I got married, so uh, that worked out <laughs> okay.
1: Oh, you know who I was thinking of? A lot of George Conway and a lot of Bill Crystal tweets. That's who I was thinking of. Not, again, not that that's a bad thing, but I'm just. Well, so Conway
2: that. is so interesting, obviously, because of his marital situation.
1: Oh, it's fascinating. See, no, I got to stop you there. We're going to get in trouble. That right there is the definition of me getting in trouble. Um, Well, I
2: I mean, you've got you've got an edit button, so I'm (laughs) assuming that you're you're going to uh, deploy that at, uh, at some stage.
1: No, got to leave. I'm going to leave as much of that in as we can. Uh, I will tell you why it's a trouble issue afterwards, I promise. But yeah, I I think that's a fair comparison. I played club tennis at Michigan, which isn't the varsity. You don't play for the university. It's club is for all the people who go to college and aren't playing varsity. So I sympathize and I understand that you got to get your sport in when you can. And, you know, again, Two-hour mark feels like the place I will let you go. So, Andrew, seriously, anytime you've got a topic, anytime you've got a new graph you want to discuss, send it to me, send me a DM, whatever you want to do. We'd be, we'd love to have you on. And there's a long off-season. we got to do some projection work. If I would love to bring in as many statistics as possible. So if there's any guys you're circling to make a 2007-esque Novak Djokovic jump, again, let me know, and we'd be happy to have you back on.
2: Perfect. I really appreciate... Uh the invitation and i had a fun conversation
1: with you i appreciate that look i'm not i'm not trying to stir the pot here but matt you've got some competition i think i know who i'm going to turn to from here on in uh but yeah but with that in mind again andrew thank you so much and we will be sure uh, to talk to you again soon
2: sounds good thanks for having me on